Hello, I'm Brett Terpstra, and you're listening to Systematic. This week's guest is Jesse Atkinson, a software engineer at Credit Karma and a return guest. It's been since about 2018. How's it going, Jesse? Uh, it's going really good. I, uh, I mean, relatively speaking, state of the world is interesting right now, but it's going well good. Standard response these days is uh, really good considering. So you're working at Credit Karma now. Uh, what, yeah. what kind of stuff are you doing there? So yeah, I've been, um, my kind of like my history and I, I might've went over this a little bit on the last one. So sorry if you, uh, this is repeat for you, but yeah, I started like in 2010 doing real old school web design, like taking Photoshop, designing what a website would look in a Photoshop document, cutting up the assets, turning that into HTML and CSS and, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I and I I do have a a college degree, but I joke that my uh, you know bachelor in computer science is, is mostly useless. Like it's mostly self taught because what I learned was like, uh, you know, how to do Perl and how to do like PHP, and I didn't end up using any of that, and it was very outdated anyways. And so I, even though I have a degree, I largely consider myself self taught, uh, and moved into web design and web design naturally grew into what we have now or like things like Spotify, half discord, half the apps you run are quote unquote web pages, but they're full on web apps. So if you were a front end web designer, web developer over the past decade, you've naturally grown into probably learning many different JavaScript frameworks and, uh, Every year, it feels it feels like you're never off the treadmill, right? You're never off the sort of mouse wheel of learning. And so I've been doing that for a while and I got um, really interested in functional programming and really interested in just uh, anytime I get really comfortable in what I'm doing, um, I'm like, well, now I'm bored. I'm not learning anymore. And so I really wanted to dive into functional programming and that kind of led me to Scala, which is one of the kings of, I guess, that world right now. Um, Very math-centric kind of community uh, and completely scared me. I had never dealt with anything Java or the JVM. Uh, That world just terrified me. And so I started looking for jobs in that space and uh really dove headlong into it and have been there something like 16 months and uh you know i i feel like i'm pretty pretty good at it now i, I actually teach the class now at the at the uh at credit karma like i teach the like new hire class for learning scala and like here's an intro to scala and i'm so clearly i've done something right there but yeah it's uh it's a radical shift from front end for sure. <laughs> All right. So let me get this straight. You decided you wanted to learn not just a new language, but an entire new kind of paradigm of programming. Mm-hmm. So you immediately looked for a job. See, it's sort of uh, like I was doing it on the side. I'm very bad at. Uh, I-, I have the rare and radical belief at least in silicon valley world that 40 hours a week is is a lot (laughs) um i think it's a lot of time personally i don't i'm not i don't rise and grind i'm not a hustler uh you know maybe it's my way i was raised midwestern and you know my dad mom both just worked simple nice nine to five jobs and and whatever i had a nice life um And so I've always really struggled. I've never been the guy to work all day and then come home and like crack open the latest coding book or like work on my side project or whatever. Um, I mean, you're a perfect example of somebody who uh, I mean, part of our friendship is like me discovering your blog and kind of being in awe of and jealous of how productive (laughs) you were and all this tooling and, 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 you know, literally as we talk, I'm looking at marked right now, like I have marked open, you know? And so I was always very jealous of that, but I, I personally have struggled to do that in my free time. And so it's always been, I need to, I need to learn on the job because there's no way like 9 PM on a Tuesday, I'm going to be like, all right, let me sit down and like learn Scala now. Like 
when it has nothing to do with my day job. It's just not going to happen. So, so. Did, when you apply for a job like that, do they not like so with the times I've interviewed at places like Google, they make you do like mm -hmm. live coding tests and you have to yeah. like prove that you understand at least the like they didn't care so much if I knew a particular framework, but I had to demonstrate competency with a language. Uh, did you have to did you have to learn enough to get through an interview process? No, because so most places I've interviewed now. Well, so one I, I had been forcing myself to learn to a small degree. But um, when I interviewed, you know, they're like, oh, pick whatever language you are comfortable in. And then you kind of have to solve the 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 sort of coding riddle that they put in front of you. Um, and in this particular case, there were, you know, hey, we have an opening over here. And it was more it was in JavaScript or now everybody's using TypeScript, but whatever. Same difference. Um, and then they're like, also, but you're more interested in this other job. And I was like, yes. And they're like, well, I kind of had to talk to the hiring manager and be like, hey, I'm a fast learner. I promise I'll, I'll, I won't suck. I promise. Uh, you know, so they, so they liked me. I passed the interview. Um, but yeah, I, I did kind of have to sell them a little bit and it worked out. And uh, I don't know, but yeah, it's, That's it's really uh, cool, dude. It's going well. I, I really, <laughs> thanks. I, it's like, I appreciate first the, uh, the more laid back approach to Silicon Valley. That is, that is admirable <laughs> in my opinion, but the ability to get the job in order to learn something, I, I can respect that. That's really cool. Thanks. Yeah. I, <laughs> I don't, uh, I guess I don't, I, God, this sounds so cheesy. I just, I'm always going to be a student. I, I don't like, I think when I'm 65, I'm going to be learning something. I'm not comfortable. I don't know. I've never been comfortable like resting on my laurels. You know, I have very limited, very, very small laurels, I guess, whatever a laurel is. But uh, yeah, I've never been like, I would have made it cool and done. Like the, the idea of like going to school your whole, uh, you know, first 24 years or 22 years of existence or, you know, for some longer in school is very intense. And then getting out of school and your first job and that's often intense you know it's very intense tense tense and then just completely shifting gears so like okay now i am um in my 30s 40s and now i'm just going to not use any of those skills i learned and really just write emails all day you know uh, it's not <laughs> sure I'm, I'm i'm being a little glib i don't mean to oversimplify like a management position but it's just not appeal to to me i don't yeah. Yeah. No, there's a It's not my jam. It's weird that managers get paid more than their employees a lot of times because the employees often they don't they don't want to be managers. Their uh their upward mobility is not about getting a management position. That's a whole different like track to be on. <clears throat> yeah, I've I've definitely been talked to a few times about like, "Hey, what's the next step for you? Are you interested in management?" and you know, I do I do, you know, think I have pretty good soft skills and like I mentioned, like I've, I've mentored some folks, uh, quite a bit and, uh, like, Oh, Hey, you're good with people. You want to be a manager? And I'm like, no, no, I want, I want to mentor people. I want to teach, but I, I don't, uh, I'm not a product guy at all. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I couldn't go to meetings and have someone say, Hey, you know, what do you like talking about the product and what I think for the product, I would be like, no, I want you to tell me what to build and I'll go build it. But I'm not a, like a product visionary type. And you know. See, I think, I think that's where, like, I always thought product manager would be a good career move for me. Like I'm good at thinking like big picture, what could this be doing kind of thing. Um, but I had, uh, one of my guests is a, uh, uh, developer advocate, and talking to him, I realized that's kind of what I wish I was doing. Every I didn't even know that role existed until about a couple of years ago. And basically every every person who gets kind of popular or not every, but a lot of the people who get popular on Twitter who are also software uh, engineers. I'll kind of look at their bio and they'll be like developer advocate at Microsoft. <laughs> and I'm like, what is that? That's so cool. You know, and um I didn't even know that role existed and it does sound kind of like what I think would be 
a, a role I would really like to do. Yeah. Because uh, it, yeah. Yeah. All right. So enough about work. Um, one of the things that we talked about you doing in your free time is something called the Cinema Club, spelled T-S-I-N-E-M-A. <laughs> Tell me about this. Yeah, I, uh, it's like I, I always like have these ideas that I want, you know, I want to do this. I want to do that with a group of friends. It's always, you know, some people are really great. They, they want to make a community. They, they create a thing, right? They create a website and they get a community and then they get a discord and a Patreon, whatever. Um, but often that is like a fan to a creator relationship. And, and one that takes a lot of effort to kind of build up the fandom. And then two, there is always a kind of dynamic there of, Okay, fan and, uh, you know, uh, creator or head of the whole show or, or whatever. And I've always been like, well, I want to do that kind of stuff, but with my friend, like friends, you know, and often, unfortunately, your f- best friends in the world might not have the same interests as you. Sure. Um, and that has always been a struggle. Whereas I'm like, I, you know, like my I'm a big like gamer and my best friend doesn't even own a video game system could not care less right so that is just a piece that we can't share i I go hey i'm this new game is awesome you should play it and he just no um so cinema club started out of that kind of desire where i had watched the movie i'm a big 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 movie person uh like uh it's just one of my biggest passions and i had like re-watched the movie breathless uh french Famous French film by Jean-Luc Goddard. Uh, it's it's important, you know, in the world of cinema. Um, as I, I say, as pretentiously as possible, cinema. Uh, and I wanted to talk about it. Well, who do I talk about it with uh, amongst my friends, right? Uh, if they have heard of it, uh, you know, that's like one, they probably haven't heard of it. Two, if they've seen it, they probably watched it in college when they were trying to like do the whole oh i'm supposed to watch these important movies and they don't remember it uh and uh you know so amongst my friends it's like they don't remember it or they've never heard of it or you know the alternative is oh i can go to an online forum like a you know whatever go on letterboxd or you know reddit or something and talk to to passionate strangers about breathless and be like hey this movie's you know this is what i thought but uh, so I started this whole thing as an excuse to be able to talk about movies with my friends uh, with a sort of eye towards, you know, let's OK, like, can, let's not maybe don't put Avengers on the list, you know, here, like maybe let's target some world cinema. Um, we've kind of deviated a little bit. We have done some popular movies, but for the most part, it targets foreign indie lesser known movies and uh, the format is every week. I think there's nine of us now. Uh, every week it rotates and uh, somebody will present, hey, these are my movies and they've kind of, uh, they invented this. When I say they, like my, my friends, I invited to this uh, a theme. So they'll be like, this week's theme is, you know, uh, Native American cinema. And they'll present four films from, uh, you know, from Native American directors. And... Uh, we uh, all watch the trailers and devote and then whatever wins we of course watch it at some point that week and then we discuss it uh, on Sundays and it has been one of the most enriching things and it started in I started in May and uh, it's been kind of a a lifeline or just a nice thing to look forward to uh, in the middle of both quarantine um, and yeah the during i'll just say 2020 which has been famously a difficult year yeah so do you find that this kind of uh watch it on your own and then get together to discuss is uh better than watching it together no i would no i don't think it's better than my favorite thing in the world to do is to go to the movies with friends you know some new movie and then go to the bar after and talk about it uh so no this does not uh, this is not superior to that, but it's kind of what we what we have right now. Have you tried uh, Plex's group watch feature? 
Uh, so, <laughs> this sort of segues into a different thing. So <laughs> I, no one in the group even has the Aplex setup uh, situation. I recently, very recently, just set all this up. Um, you know, we're all just normal folks with uh, an Apple TV or something yeah. and just rent it or whatever the hell. Um, my one buddy, uh, Liam, uses something called put.io, uh, which is sort of in, I don't even, it, it's it's sort of like an in-the-cloud torrent slash streaming situation. It's a little hard to explain, but uh, that has a group watch thing, but it's not supported on Apple TV. So if you want to watch it at the same time, you have to get your laptop out. Of course, make sure it's plugged into power and then airplay it to your TV. And I'm too much of a diva to do that. So that's what's killing me about like Hulu, Netflix, Disney Plus have all added group watch features. But at least with Hulu and Netflix, they only work on the laptop and if you yeah. try to airplay hulu to your apple tv it goes black so that's not anyway oh like plex is plex is free uh if you co-locate a machine on a good like three terabit uh upline you can uh just throw torrents on it and then all of your friends can install plex for free on their apple tv and you can watch together. And I've done it a couple times now with friends. And it it's almost better than watching together in a theater because you can have a text chat on the side and not annoy anybody. <laughs> it's fun. I I I just went down. The, I mean, I didn't even have a Plex uh, account until about two weeks ago because I'm like well aware of Plex. So I've just never had a need for it. Like, um I paid for every streaming service under the sun and it was just I, I've always avoided especially the past I would say like the past sort of decade like once I got like a, a jobby job and started making money I was just like okay I'm done fiddling with computers on the weekend in terms <laughs> of like you know the number one thing is like I don't want my wife to say hey I want to watch this and be like oh yeah hang on let me let me open up my laptop and like configure a bunch of settings you know she wants to very considerate of you she wants to take the apple remote click two buttons and be watching you know whatever and so uh and i don't want to do that either and so we started paying for all the streaming services and recently we kind of had our reckoning because we were basically it was more than a cable bill and i was like this is stupid and so we got we went the flex route yeah um well i guess you, you'll do what you're going to do, but I, I do recommend it. Plus, I heard you just got a Synology and there's Plex <laughs> available for Synology. Yeah, so that's uh, I I it's something I've like eyeballed, but I've put off because I again, just the uh, I knew I was I knew it was going to be at least a weekend of fiddling. Um, no matter how easy everybody says it is like, I'm, I'm me. Like if I'm going to do something, I'm going to like really get into it. And I knew like, okay, well, so when a Synology is not cheap, like getting it and then getting the hard drives and all that stuff and doing it properly. Um, and it's also a world I'm just deeply ignorant of. And so I recently bit the bullet and got, uh, like I call it, you know, baby's first Synology. I got the, the Synology. 220 so it's only a two bay um uh a mutual friend of ours i was talking to about it was uh razzing me and was just like oh buddy you went too small you're immediately gonna want to upgrade and sell that and i was like (laughs) i was like maybe but let me you know let me have babies for synology here um Getting it set up is getting it set up is easy. Getting everything the way you want it is hard. And so right away, you know, I set up all the the stuff and uh, it's some of what I guess I'm going to be talking about here is I was like gray area legally. So uh, I, I do not condone uh, theft in any way, uh, you know, um, but yeah, there's so many apps. There's sonar and radar and uh, 
you start looking into Usenet, which confused the hell out of me because I've never <laughs> seen that. Obviously, you look into torrents, which I'm familiar with, but torrents back the last time I was using them was in college and it was. We should back up. And for anyone listening who doesn't know what a Synology is. Um, oh, yeah. Let's let's. This is a lot. Yeah. Let's explain that uh, in brief. I'll let you. Uh, I'll do my best. So a. um. So a Synology, well, I think Synology is a company. First off, Synology is a company. They make a bunch of stuff. But the primary thing that they make that they're famous for is a NAS, N-A-S, or a network-attached storage. What this is for, ideally, is backing data up and redundantly backing it up. Um, So if you have, you know, your computer for, like, any files you care about, it's... You, you put multiple hard drives in and you there's a setting you can say raid one or whatever. Uh, there's a bunch of different file settings that I won't get into, but you can say how redundant you want it to be. So let's say you have eight. Let's say you have eight hard drives in your NAS. You can say, I want this to be backed up once. So that means you have four hard drives really that you're working with. And then the other four are clone or you can say, I want this backed up twice. So then you really have two. Uh, hard drives that you're uh working with you know yeah um or is my math right on that no it's not but you get my point i do so i mean basically it is it's a it's something like a drobo like a a raid drive except with a synology it is it's network attached so you can run and it has its own processor in it so you can actually run Mm -hmm applications right on it to serve like media to have a file sharing and uh, you can run your own Git server on it. I, that's where I keep all my uh, yeah. all my local repos now is on my Synology. Yeah, so I I guess I wanted to stress that like it's in, what it's intent in the same way that Usenet is intended for news. Um, <laughs> Synology NAS is intended for you know backing up your data. Yeah. Um, what people really tend to use it for is just backing up your data. But um, as you said, there's a lot of really cool stuff you can do with it. And uh, just there's so much cool stuff that you can do with them. And a big pot, you know, if you go on YouTube and just type Plex Synology, you're going to get a million results of people teaching you how to set up a home media server. Um, You know, so one of the biggest benefits for me is just I really wanted to be able to stream without using like the Internet, like. I didn't like we have really good Internet, so it wasn't so much that I was just like, I want to be able to have something where I can stream in like 4K and like don't even have to think about, you know, uh, streaming speeds and all that. So it kind of ties into the idea of uh, owning your own data and your own services and everything. too. Mm-hmm. Is that something you're uh, is that something you're 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 cognizant of? yeah yeah like again kind of the it goes into the overhead of like like my my brain is always going how why am i doing this or what's the value in this or whatever and so whenever i would hear people have uh, synologies or ever talk about it i would be like well i don't have that much data you know back up my photos my photos are backed up in dropbox or whatever and i have uh, i use backboys on my computer okay they're backed up there um so it was always that. And then two, in terms of streaming, uh, like movies and TV and stuff like that, it's just always like, eh, what, you know, so they take the office off Netflix, whatever, how badly do I need to watch the office? Who cares? You know, I would sort of just roll with the, the punches and, you know, I think having a show being taken away from me is a very soft punch, I'd be like, whatever. Um, but yeah, it just, you know, like not to get to like, if, if you go real extreme with this stuff and you end up down the, you know, total free software, open source, um, you know, Richard Stallman type world. And I've definitely peered into that world. I've flirted with that world, but I've ultimately decided it's not not for me. Um, But, you know, realizing like I have been honestly like I've I've spent tens of thousands of dollars on DVDs and Blu-rays and CDs and vinyl records throughout my life. And at this point, 
because of several moves and just trying to minimize, like I don't own any of that stuff sure. anymore. And well, why did I sell it? Well, I sold it for space. I sold this because like because <laughs> boxes of records are really heavy to carry when you're moving. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, you know, like how often am I going to get up and get, you know, a, a DVD out and go hook up the thing? You know, th- these are extremely, you know, sort of first worldly problems. But yeah. So it's like, OK, I want my stuff to be as easy to use as it is to use Netflix, but I, I want it to be mine and I want it to, there's no reason why the internet needs to be kind of involved. Uh, like a local area network is involved, but there's no reason why the internet kind of needs to be involved in me watching a movie I own. Sure. Um, and so, yeah, I got it set up and it is, uh, it is, a it can be a rabbit hole. And so I initially install, you know, I, I went through the apps and, uh, you know, buddy kind of helped me with, with that, but right away I realized it wasn't quite what I wanted. And I started looking into what I wanted and, Oh, uh, well, right away I got annoyed because I installed, God, what was it? I think it was sonar radar. One of them, it installed mono and mono is a way to run .NET applications on non like uh, Windows machines and then another app installed Python 3 and I'm just like I don't want these on my <laughs> Synology so you start looking at this at all and immediately Docker is the solution and I am very familiar with Docker from my work as a software engineer but I'm just like man do I really want to start doing Docker and like my fr- like is this what I want to be doing is like debug like SSHing into Docker containers and um figuring out what the hell's going on and uh the answer is no i don't but so it's a the setup cost is high but once i got the whole docker compose file exactly like i wanted and got it all set up now things are running like a well-oiled machine and so it is extremely extremely overkill extremely nerdy and not for everybody but once you have it up and running you feel like a wizard (laughs) sure all right well i'm gonna take a break here and we're gonna hear from our sponsor Uber for Business. This episode of Systematic is sponsored by Uber for Business. Finding simple and effective ways to keep employees engaged and customers happy is always top of mind for business owners and managers, and that is especially challenging when face-to-face interaction is limited. You trust Uber as a way to request rides and order meals from restaurants you love, but Uber also has a platform designed specifically for businesses. Over 160,000 companies use Uber for Business to improve customer and employee satisfaction. Having a hard time getting people to show up or stay engaged in virtual team meetings or events? With vouchers from Uber for Business, you can add $20 to their personal Uber account so they can easily order meals through Uber Eats before the meeting. Or offer your customers a voucher for a free meal or ride when they make their first purchase or spend a certain amount. It's a great way to make your happy customers even happier. Any company can sign up for free and immediately start delivering extra value to the people who matter most to their business. Vouchers are simple to send and to redeem. Your business has total control over who gets them, when they expire, and what portion of the ride or meal you want to cover. Vouchers are shared via email or text and can be redeemed with a single tap. Best of all, you only pay for rides they take or meals they order. Right now, Uber for Business is offering companies a $50 voucher credit when you spend your first $200 with vouchers. Go to uber.com slash systematic pod to learn more. That's uber.com slash systematic pod for a $50 voucher credit. Terms and conditions do apply, so be sure to read up when taking advantage of this great offer. And thanks to Uber for Business for sponsoring this episode. All right. So what... uh a common uh, topic that comes up on Overtired with Christina Warren um, mm-hmm. is is keyboards. And I feel like someone who uses <laughs> Vim must have a keyboard mm-hmm. they love. What are you using for a keyboard now? Wow. Um, uh, I am using. So I went on the keyboard rabbit hole and ended up on after buying several and spending too much money on it. I ended up on keyboard.io. Yeah. Um, that's literally the website keyboard.io and the keyboard that I have was at the time, the only keyboard they offered called a model. It's just called model one or model. Oh, one. I don't know how you fanatically say it, but it's written model zero one. Anyways, 
they advertise it sort of as I think it might have been kickstarted. I don't remember if it was kickstarted, but, you know, it was definitely a community backed thing. Um, the makers are based near me in, in Oakland. Um, and yeah, it is a uh, it's a split keyboard. It's it's, you know, if you've probably seen a couple of those, it's it's but the keys are positioned slightly different um, in terms of like where your modifier keys are. And so like tab control backspace command shift all that are not where they normally are. The idea being that your thumbs are probably better for hitting your thumbs are probably more powerful than your pinky. So they put these keys near your thumb. So that was a bit of a ramp up. But yeah, I uh, it took me about a month to get used to. And now I own two of them and I can never go back. Wow. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm looking at them right now. I, I remember seeing Damn, they're this, unfortunately uh, sold out. The one that looks like a butterfly that's actually two pieces. Is that the one you yep, have? That's the one I have. Yeah, I remember yep. when that was on Kickstarter. I actually I think I signed up for that one at the same time I signed up for the ultimate hacking keyboard and the UHK shipped first. So or else I <laughs> I don't remember how it happened. Like the UHK took so long to ship that I forgot I had ordered it when it showed up. But now it's my favorite keyboard. Yeah, like you back something and forget it. And eight months later, you know, some FedEx box shows up. And you're like, what, what is this? I think it was two years. <laughs> I think it took two years for the UHK. Yeah. All right. I, yeah, I'm familiar with it. I don't know. I yeah, I, I've tried to get a few friends. It's like it's like getting friends into coffee or whiskey or something like they have. They have to be they they have to be in the mental state where they have to be like okay, I am actually interested in this. Because if you just start force telling, oh man, get this keyboard, they're going to look at you like you're an alien. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I note that it's the profiles of all of the keycaps seem to be very custom. So it seems like buying your own keycap set for it would be nearly impossible, especially these thumb keys that are. Yeah. Huh. That I, I can't I think there's some like fan uh I should say fan like community made ones, but yeah, like definitely kind of buying this keyboard, it's coming complete. And they yeah. advertised it sort of as like, hey, like this is they called it, I think like heirloom is the, the term they use, <laughs> which is a little <laughs> little pretentious. Uh, maybe a little ambitious, but their <laughs> idea was like their idea, I think, was was uh, and, and so if anybody's listening who's involved with this project and I get this wrong, sorry, but um, their idea was sort of like, hey, you know, dad or grandpa might have these very good tools that they used for woodworking and those tools are still valuable. And if they're well-made tools, they can be passed down. Why can't the same happen for a keyboard? Um, I don't know if a keyboard can ever really last multiple generations but you know this thing is built extremely well and so i'm i'm hoping to use it for uh until it breaks well i hope you get to pass it on to uh a, a son or a niece or something today um all right guess i actually have two sponsors awesome yeah i'm gonna take a second break to talk about pdf pattern and if you're searching for a powerful PDF editing tool for your Mac, iPad, or iPhone, look no further than PDF Pen. Whether you're on the road or at your desk, need advanced editing features, or you just want to sign and email back a contract, PDF Pen has you covered. The ultimate tool for editing PDFs on the Mac now includes even more powerful features like page label support and multiple formats for documents. And pro users can go a step further with the ability to add or edit page labels. And that's in addition to the great features already available in PDF Pen, like a magnifier window to zoom in on a document, customizable compression settings, stationary with new paper colors for custom page designs. PDF Pen, PDF Pen Pro, and PDF Pen for iPad and iPhone all work together for seamless editing across devices uh, when used with Dropbox or iCloud. So, Learn more about PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro and how they can help you with all your PDF needs at smilesoftware.com slash podcast. All right. Um, well, that brings us to our top three picks. Uh, I, I assume you, you came. Sort of. Um, uh, 
I I came well. I I had trouble narrowing it down to to three, and so I don't know. I guess I'm gonna kill two on the spot here. <laughs> as, as I mentioned, uh, I I don't do my own. So if you need a few spaces, I'll make room. All right. What's your? Uh, this is the most I think of any top three you've ever pick you've ever had. This might be the most boring. But I'm going to do it because it's changed my life this year. Um, uh, getting a financial advisor is a pick of mine. Um, I hate finances and money. Uh, stock market, that kind of stuff has always intimidated me. Uh, in the sense of. I understand it like I understand finance or whatever it's just it's it's deeply unenjoyable to me it's like it's like doing surgery on yourself um i like yes i understand how my yeah i understand how my body works but i don't want to do surgery on myself you know in the same way that i when i look at my money i'm like yeah i don't you know it's in terms of buying individual stocks that's might as well be betting on ponies you know um so, yeah, we we hunkered down part of the one of the things we did in the 2020 quarantine. And, uh, you know, we, we were hit. I was hit financially. Uh, you know, my wife was as, as well. Uh, don't go into that too much, but we were just like, OK, like, let's tighten our belts here and uh, get serious about finances. And so we signed up for something called you need a budget dot com or YNAB, as it's called, um, which is like a kind of personal finance tracker and. It is a thing you have to fully buy into, fully, fully buy into. There's no half doing it. Uh, so be warned, like, you know, it might it's not for everybody. So we signed up for that and really wrangled our finances. And then we got a financial advisor and uh, he has been wonderful. And I have so much more peace of like looking at my bank account, even though I'm financially stable and OK, it used to bring such anxiety to even sign in. Like I would feel a spike <laughs> in anxiety. And I was like, I can't do this for the rest of my life. Like, we need a fix. And I was like, the fix, okay, the fix is getting, like, an, a, a competent adult who specializes in this to advise me. And uh, so that is that is my very boring pick. Get a financial advisor and maybe look at, you need a budget. So how does one go around, go about finding uh, financial that, that is a great question. Uh, so there are tons of like like personal i think what's called personal capital there's tons of websites and stuff for finding a financial advisor the way i found one was talking to a friend um and that's it worked for me i don't know if it worked <laughs> for everybody but i had a friend she yeah it depends on your friend uh, i have a friend she's similar age as me we grew up together and she's buying her second house and i was like yo <laughs> like we have similar jobs. I am guessing we have, you know, like ballpark. We're in the same tax bracket here. How are you buying a second house? What's going on? And she was like, oh, you know, and kind of told me some personal details. But like, yeah, we've been working with this financial advisor and they've been great. And I was like, really? I would really like that. And she was just like, oh, my God, I'll introduce you. He's the best. Um, and so I talked to him and I talked to a few others and we ended up settling with this, this, uh, this gentleman and he's, uh, you know, he's been doing it all over zoom. He's located on the, the East coast. And so it's been great. So how to find one, uh, ta- you know, again, there's tons of websites to help you find one for me personally. I wanted some sort of personal sure. connection and I also wanted somebody who was targeted at sort of financial security and growing like keep keeping me safe for retirement rather than somebody who's going to be like telling me which ponies to bet on uh sure you know i i'm i would love to get rich quick overnight who wouldn't but i don't i'm not looking for like a day trader sure uh, person yeah i i have a financial advisor whose job for the last couple of years has been basically to grit her teeth and smile when i ask to take more money out of my 401k but hopefully that all turns around. <laughs> she's been she's been a dear about it. She hasn't made me feel like super, super guilty about eating away at my own future. But uh, when I have more money, I look forward to letting her help me. Man. So what's your <laughs> second? Um, my second pick, I feel like 
uh, I've seen this on Twitter uh, as people getting feel like with quarantine, everybody's for some reason gotten into the Sopranos and I am uh, also a person who's re well re gotten. So I watched the Sopranos when it's sixth season was airing the final season. Uh, I was like, what was I? 2021. I was like, okay, you know, it's considered one of the best shows ever made, you know, and kind of kicked off this whole wave of big, you know, this is before even like, you know, Mad Men and Breaking Bad, but I was well aware of, okay, this kicked off sort of this wave of important, uh, good TV. And so I like got all this, you know, on Netflix, like the DVD subscription thing. And I watched them and I liked it, but I struggled with it. It is a very hard show to watch because most of the characters are, uh, bad people like the weed Tony like for some reason you learn to like him but he is ultimately a bad dude he is uh sexist he is racist he is homophobic he is all of the bad things so why would you watch a show about this um and it is such a damn good show and but it's one I don't know if I fully appreciated or understood when I was like 20 ish and uh, so I decided to rewatch it, uh, uh, you know, kind of starting when quarantine started. And so I started rewatching it and I'm about to finish it. And it's just uh, I've just seen so many people on Twitter talking about watching The Sopranos and falling in love with it over quarantine. Uh, but coincidentally, uh, Michael Imperioli and Steve Sherpa, who who play Christopher Maltesanti and Bobby Bacala on the show started a podcast that also coincided with the sort of quarantine called Talking Sopranos. And they're doing an episode by episode rewatch. And that's kind of been a, you know, pop culture phenomenon, too. And so I just recently started listening to that podcast. And if you are a fan of the show, it is just an absolute treat. And so um, if you've if you've never seen the show or it's been a while, I would encourage you to listen to the Talking Sopranos podcast and maybe rewatch along with it. It is just a joy. Uh, but but be like serious kind of like I feel like everybody's just like, yeah, you know, uh, yeah, I'm used to mature TV. But, you know, so Sopranos is, is a tough show to watch in terms of not necessarily the content, but the uh, there are some really despicable characters and the show is filmed very neutrally sure. it is not telling you how to feel so you uh you're in for some some tough stuff that i think people kind of gloss over if you watch it but it is a great show i will admit i've never seen the sopranos i've also never watched the wire um i am on my third time through the office and considered uh a peacock i was in the middle of going through the office for, for the third time it's, <laughs> it's the show we watch with our kitten and it, uh, and then suddenly it was off Netflix and I panicked and and got on Peacock. But point. We need to talk, we need to talk about kitten. we can totally do that. Um, like I I've always but, uh, the Sopranos and The Wire. I've heard so many kind of uh, uh, salivating things about. But have ne like it feels like an investment. Like if I start, I'm going to end up like how many seasons of the Sopranos? Mm -hmm. Uh, there's six seasons, but there's something like 80, something 86 episodes because the sixth season was kind of two short halves. HBO does this thing sometimes where they'll have, uh, they've done this a few times where they, they'll do like an 18 episode season and they just kind of chop it into two halves rather than calling it two mm -hmm. seasons. I don't get it. Okay. Whatever. Yeah. So it's six seasons, but really more like seven. Uh, yeah, it's I, I totally get what you mean. Like, I have so many. I mean, I don't watch a lot of TV. Um, like, I still never finished Breaking Bad. Uh, it was like, oh, it's the best show ever made because it is. It is a big investment, but I also have to be having yeah. fun. I have to be enjoying it. And I started Breaking Bad and I got into season three. Um I'm sure some listener out there screaming who's a big fan of Breaking Bad, but I was just like, the show's miss. Like, I am not having fun. I, this is objectively well written. This is objectively well acted. 
I am not having fun anymore. Like this is just miserable. And uh, yeah, like, yeah, for me, I need to have like something like heavy, like a Deadwood is another example of a very heavy show, but I have fun while I watch it. Like, even though it is a very upsetting show, I'm often laughing because it is hilarious and in in the middle of all this darkness and I need that to kind of hook me that. So I, the walking dead ended up like I breaking bad. I enjoyed all the way through, but the walking dead got to the point where uh, everything was just always so terrible and anything (laughs) that good happened was immediately going to be uh, counteracted by something horrible before the end of the episode. And I just lost my heart. There's a term that I love called a grimdark. Um, and I don't know what kicked it off, but I will I will say yeah, Christopher yeah, yeah. Nolan's Batman movies kind of kicked it off where I think the wrong lessons were learned. Uh, the perfect example of that is the then Spider-Man, the, the Spider-Man movies, not the new ones and not the old ones, but the middle ones with uh, Andrew Garfield were like this gritty reboot of Spider-Man. And it's like, no, you were learning the wrong <laughs> lessons from Christopher Nolan's Batman movies. People don't like them because they are dark. They like them because they are good. And Batman is a dark character. Bleep that out. Uh, but people like dark things. Uh, and you're like, no, it's not. They like dark things. It's that they like good things. Um, I, yeah, I, I guess I'm hit and miss on it. Like, I, I, I love Nolan's Batman movies. They're great. Yeah, movies. they're, they're great. brilliant. Uh, things that are like you say, things that are just dark for the sake of being dark can be a little bit uh or or emotionally draining, depending on depending on the product itself. All right. So what's your. Th- I really set myself up for this because uh, I'm about to talk <laughs> about something that's grimdark uh, that I've also revisited. God, I mean, I'm I'm I just like dunked on myself. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, I'm not a big reader. And I'm a big fan of Cormac McCarthy's books. Uh, the few that I've read have radically uh, shook me and I've really liked. And his most famous and beloved novel, Blood Meridian, is probably the most difficult and upsetting read uh, ever and is widely considered one of, if not the best books ever made. Like if you start digging, you know, Google best books ever written or best books of the 1900s or something. Um, Blood Meridian's up there uh, always. And it is a hard uh, book. It in it, and it is a fictionalized Cormac. It's Cormac McCarthy's fictionalized retelling of what really happened of uh, a guy named Glanton. He kept journals and he was a scalp hunter. Uh, and that means that like he was a, uh, sanctioned by the united states government he he went out and he uh was him and a band of marauders uh again completely legal in the eyes of the u.s government in the in the 1800s was a uh would go and find uh native americans and bring back uh kill them and scalp them and bring back the scalps for money and this is something that we sanctioned and it is a book kind of a kind of about that but it is a book more about what people are capable of and what we do to each other and kind of a dark look at us history. Uh, and so this, this all sounds upsetting and it is, but there is a reason why it is so beloved and, and praised and talked highly about. And so I had read it uh, hilariously <laughs> on my honeymoon. I was on a beach in Jamaica, just drinking, a drinking drinks and enjoying life and reading this horrifying, um, you know, dark, Dark Night of the Soul kind of book about uh, some really dark but real uh, U.S. history. Um, again, it's a fiction book, but 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 it's depicting it's a fictionalized account of things that really happened in this guy's journal. And uh, I reread it this this summer. And then my wife, uh, she, she one of the biggest sources of the book or inspirations is Moby Dick and As I Lay Dying. Those are Cormac. People always say, well, Cormac was really inspired by these two things. And I haven't read neither. And so my wife is a big fan of As I Lay Dying. And she still has her high school copies. So she was immediately like, well, you got to read this. And I was like, well, you've never read Blood Meridian. And so we swapped kind of books. So I read As I Lay Dying. And she read Blood Meridian. And we've had a lot of uh, discussion about it. And it's kind of reignited my my love of, I don't know. Clearly, I like talking about like I like talking about things I love because uh, I create, you know, yeah, 
aforementioned cinema club with my friends and uh so yeah i would recommend that book if you want to if you really want to like consume some heavy and good uh literature and you want to be able to pretentiously say at parties that you've read blood meridian it's good but it's also actually a good book <laughs> it's 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 really heavy but it's it's wonderful and i and i highly i think there's a lot of value in, in reading it and reading about our uh the u.s is is the u.s's dark history uh, yeah nice all right i have a question what's your favorite video game right now oh. okay. uh, I'm going to be very well. I'm going to be very stereotypical. Uh, if anybody is listening who is a gamer, uh, you've probably heard of Hades. Hades is uh, on everybody's list of best game of the year, and it is so deserving of it. Um, Fair enough. So Hades. Enough. Yeah, we didn't get into a whole video video game discussion, but you uh you you are a a video <laughs> game lover, a gamer as the as the case. <laughs> Yeah, I yeah, it's uh, there is, like if I read a book, watch a movie, TV, whatever, it's there's no me in it. Like I'm just consuming. And with a video game, there is uh, I mean, there's obviously the tactile thing of using your hands. And so if you're a fidget person, that can be appealing. I'm not. I uh, But there is the like overcoming a challenge and especially when the game feels fair. Um, I really don't like easy video games. I don't mean that. Though. Like, I don't. There's a term of games called like walking simulator, right? Um, you know, like F- Firewatch is a perfect example of that. Where like it is a brilliantly written game, but I did not have a lot of fun playing it. It was not my kind. I need a challenge to overcome. And uh, Hades is, I think, one of the best. Uh, yeah, th- there's been so much ink spilled about how good Hades is, but it is one of the most challenging video games, uh, but it is also good. And typically you don't get those together. You have video games that are kind of easy that everyone can play and are good and have a difficulty setting. And those tend to be the ones people talk about when game of the year. And then you have these sort of uh, cult games or indie games or sidebar games that, you know, people get into but they aren't written about in like you know the game of the year terms and hades is that extremely rare game where it is brutally challenging and everybody is into it right now and uh yeah it's It's good i think i have a very low tolerance for a game has to be exactly the right amount of challenging without stumping me or i lose interest in me i think that's why i end up playing mostly ios puzzle games (laughs) not actual video I, there's there's an ego there with me i think when i'm playing a game and i die <laughs> to a boss i i get mad and i'm like oh c- come on no like I, i've played video games my whole life this boss can't get me and and i go back and i figure it out and especially if i die like three five times to a challenge or a boss um and as long as i think the game is fair and well made which typically if it's a triple a or big game you know it is uh then i'm starting to go okay what am i like i start to analyze it and you know so it is a puzzle i guess in a way of trying to figure out what am i doing wrong what can i learn here um you know because if you keep doing the same thing and you keep dying or failing or whatever the game is you know whatever obstacle you're trying to overcome like well then you know you can keep trying that and getting mad and frustrated and put the controller down or you can try to go Maybe I'm doing this wrong and I need to adjust. I so. uh, I only recently realized that people actually finish video games. Like I have all these games I used to play at my friend's house on like Super Nintendo that I never mm-hmm. considered that people actually finished like Contra. I didn't I didn't I, d- I thought it was just something you played. I didn't realize you ever actually got to the end. And that was kind of it, it was a, a revelation for me to realize, oh, yeah, there's actually there's a sense of satisfaction instead of just frustration that comes from these things. But when you grow up without a video game console and all of your experience is is being trounced mm-hmm. by your friends who actually own the consoles, I, you develop a mm-hmm. different uh a different uh, perspective on video games entire yes like i would say there's a, a few things there too like older 
so in the early days in the Nintendo and Super Nintendo era, games are the same. The games are the dollar number, same price they are now. Games are $60 or $50. But if you adjust for inflation, that is a much higher value back then uh, that, that you know, people or often parents were paying and games needed to last. And so one of the kind of things that's often cited is games that were artificially hard. They were Contra is a perfect example of a game that was really hard with the idea that it would last, you know, you would get your dollar amount out of it. Um, <laughs> but for many people that was just deeply frustrating and you didn't get past level two. Um, and the other side to back this up is sort of arcades arcade sure. cabinets goal was to make money their goal was to eat quarters right and so there was artificial difficulty baked in and so it wasn't until in my opinion it wasn't until really the playstation era where games stopped being just hey we we want to be challenging so that you'll feel like you're getting your money's worth you know you started getting games that were telling uh richer stories and um you know weren't just trying to make you play the same four you know same levels over and over but yeah i was you're not alone yeah no that that actually i I guess i never realized there was a a transition kind of a philosophical transition there that maybe i should get a video game console finally I had an Xbox 360 that I really only bought because it had the Kinect <laughs> and I wanted to hack on the Kinect and I bought Bioshock for it. I got through like okay. 20 minutes of Bioshock before I gave up on it. <laughs> and that's pretty much my extent of modern gaming right there. Bioshock is a, it's a good game. It's a, it's that it, it looked cool. It's such a Brett thing to buy a whole system just so you can hack with the Kinect. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I, I I lost the Xbox in the divorce. So that's that's a thing of the past. I I I will say like I've become sort of a Sherpa to I have a couple friends, one in particular. He he hadn't had a video game console since uh the Super Nintendo and he's like in his late thirties and two years ago he was like, and there's some game Oh, it was The Last of Us. He's like, I keep hearing people say The Last of Us is you know really good, and I'm kind of interested in video games. Should I, should I get into it? And I was like, Yeah, man. Like, there's a reason that game is so praised. It's it's a real powerful experience. You should sure. And so he got into it, and now uh, he is a, a full on gamer <laughs> and listens to you know multiple podcasts and reads all of the websites and follows all these and he's more up on the news than I am but you know he'll sort of ask me like old school stuff so he'll 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 hear terms that he's not familiar with and be like what does metroidvania mean and I'll kind of have to explain oh well this and then he'll go oh, should I go back and play those and I can be like yeah that's actually good hmm. and holds up or no that's it's not really worth your time hmm. or whatever all right well if I ever get back into I shouldn't say back if I ever get into console gaming i will uh i will contact you and a couple of other guests who are (laughs) avid gamers that know way more than i do and could probably get me over uh some initial yeah it's it's a lovely way it's a lovely alternative way to spend the evening when you know if you're sick of your your tv shows or books or whatever if you've already been through the office three times and aren't ready to start the soprano yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> exactly yeah exactly all right well jesse where can people f- oh uh so i finally uh one of the things i also did during quarantine was make a, a website uh and then i haven't written on it but i do finally have a website now so uh it's jsatk.us uh that is also my twitter handle that's my handle on like everything jsatk mm-hmm. uh kind of like a right. super shortening of my name uh, so yeah, yeah, I'm there, well, and hopefully the someday I'll actually for it. blog again. All right. Well, thanks, Jesse. Uh, great talking to you again. We'll have to <laughs> we'll have to not wait what three years next time. It's uh, it's all I'm. I just love uh, I love chatting with you. So I'm around anytime. All right. Um, and thanks everyone for listening. We'll uh, we'll see you in a week. Hey, thanks for tuning in to Systematic. 
Check out more episodes at systematicpod.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Find me as TT Scoff on all social platforms and follow Systematic at Systemcast, S-Y-S-T-M-C-A-S-T on Twitter. Thanks for listening.